Let's pray together. Father, what an honor we have to have an audience with the King. And so now, bless us, challenge us according to your word. We thank in your name. Amen. So the difference between a good backpacking trip and a bad one can be summed up to four simple words, having the right gear. If you have the right gear, then you have the recipe for a pretty good trip. But if you don't have the right gear, boy, you're asking for trouble. So I'd just been married for about two years at the time. I was living in Michigan. I was a student here in the seminary. And my older brother invited me to come down to Tennessee where he was studying at the time. He said, Rodley, let's go on a backpacking trip through the Smoky Mountains. A little sliver of it anyway. So I said, hey, that sounds good. I didn't have any experience at backpacking. I wasn't good at it. I didn't have any equipment. But my oldest brother said, Rodley, don't worry about a thing. We've got you covered. We have all the equipment that you need. So my wife and I, we drove down there to Tennessee, and we get there, and he begins pulling out some old, dusty, nasty-looking packs and equipment, and I'm thinking, is this what we're going to use? If you notice this table here in the back, we have some nice equipment. This is what nice equipment looks like, a nice, compressible, lightweight sleeping bag. Nope, didn't have that. You know those really huge, heavy ones from Walmart that take up a bunch of space? Stuffing those inside of a backpack. Nice, lightweight water filtration system. Nope. I was the camel of the group. I was bringing with me two gallons of water inside my pack. A nice little... Stove, portable, you don't even want to know. <laughs> Off we went like two, with a like a group of city slickers heading into the woods in a romantic sense. Off we went, loaded and ready for adventure. Now, I need to show you a picture real quick of what we looked like before we started the trip. Let's put that on the screen. Everybody looks good and happy. There I am with my wife, my older brother on the far left side, and two other friends. Everything was fantastic, I have to tell you. Everything, we were having lots of fun. Everything was great for about the first two hours, anyway. And then it was at that moment that I, I heard and I noticed my wife, my dear wife, was crying and crumbling under the 50 pounds of weight that she was carrying. And if you know her, she's pretty petite. And so what's a husband supposed to do? I mean, guys, what would you do if your wife, if your girlfriend, if your fiancé is crying there and she's suffering? Hey, look, I'm no hero. But I did what any man would have done. I virtually emptied out the contents of her pack and I stuffed them even more into mine. And I want to describe what it felt like. It kind of just felt like as if you're carrying some raw rope on your naked shoulders and digging into your flesh, and it was painful. And thusly went an eight-hour journey into the depths of the Smoky Mountains. I'm telling you, I was so happy when we finally got to that shelter. But little did I know that this shelter was filled with rats. And so we begin to unpack. We didn't see them during the daytime, of course, but during the nighttime, oh, they began to walk on me. <laughs> Yvette didn't notice because I was covering her. 
I was horrified that she would find out that there was rats in there because I knew that she would just finish the thing. So I'm covering her with my arms. I'm feeling these rats walking on top of me. And I'm going, ugh, because they're walking on me. And she's saying, what was that? And I'm saying, nothing. <laughs> Pretty scary experience. I prayed as hard as I could for morning to come. Finally, when morning came, we had planned to go even deeper into the woods, but it was such a horrible night. It was such a horrible experience that everybody agreed. We didn't have to talk about it. We were leaving. But unfortunately, the hike back, we would have to go up. So there we went, tired, depleted, moody. And for some reason, though, I just thought I needed to memorialize our pain and suffering. And so I asked my oldest brother to take a picture of it. Let's put that on the screen so you can see what we looked like. I have my wife's permission to share that photo, by the way. <laughs> Needless to say, if you have the right gear, things can go pretty well for you. But boy, if you do not have the right gear, you're asking for trouble. You know, as I think about it, I think it's kind of similar for parenting, don't you think? I mean, if, if you know what you're supposed to do, and if you have the right principles, and if you have the right tool, look, parenting is always a little bit tough, right? But if you know what you're doing, you have the right tools, the right gear, the right principles in place, then you know what? It can be a pretty good experience. But if you do not know what you're doing, if you do not have the right tools, if you do not have the right gear, boy, parenting can be really tough. It can be a not-so-good experience for any of us there. And so today, here's what I want to do in a few minutes here this morning. I simply want to try to share with you some tools and some gear, if you will, for parenting. Now, I have to give this preamble and this caveat that I am no expert in the world of parenting. I've been married almost 12 years now, in about another week or so. I have two boys, five and seven-year-old boys, but I confess that I'm no expert. So this is not me coming down from some mountain with these amazing lessons on parenting that I'm coming to give you and teach the fine parents of Pioneer. No, this is me, a fellow pilgrim on this parenting journey, just going to share with you a few things so we can learn together. Is that fair? By the way, if you're just joining us, we're really glad to hear. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you've joined us. Now for part five of this summer series that we've been going through, simply called Road Trip, God's Picture of Family. And every single week we've been going through different things related to family. We've talked about marriage and dating. And today I'm simply going to try to equip you with some simple gear and some tools for godly parenting. But you don't want to miss next week. Next week we're going to have our finale for the series. It's going to be really good. We're going to do something really different. We're actually going to have a panel discussion. All right? We're going to have the pastors who have preached for the series. We're going to be up here on the platform. And you can ask us any question you want related to the series live. Sounds a little bit scary. Now, if you would like to bless some of us and give us the questions ahead of time, you can do that. And on your response card... On your response card, on the connect card at the very bottom of there, you can simply put any questions that you kind of want to submit ahead of time. And by the way, this week, as you're taking any pictures or anything of your family, we might feature some of those pictures next week in our finale. We're going to give you a special hashtag. It's 
hashtag, or for some of you, that means the pound sign, God's family picture. God's family picture. So if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, give us that hashtag, God's family picture, as you're sharing your own pictures, and we just might feature it next week. All right? I want us to jump in right now. I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 4 as we begin exploring some essential gear for godly parenting. So turn there with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now here we have one of the most powerful proclamations in the entire Bible. I mean, it served as a centering point, actually, for God's people. It's called the Shema. It's taken from the first word in the Hebrew where it says, hear. I mean, this powerful proclamation in the Bible. By the way, does it sound familiar to anybody at all? Hopefully it does. We have this great story in Matthew chapter 22. This lawyer came up to Jesus. Remember that story now? He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? My word. What's the greatest commandment of all? And of course, it's referencing the sum of 613 odd different commandments and lessons, some positive and some negative. So Jesus, teacher, out of all of these different commandments, out of these different 613, which one should we really be focusing on? How can we be prioritizing our faith? And Jesus doesn't have to think. He doesn't have to falter. He doesn't have to flinch. He tells them very simply, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, this is what you need to do. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So we know that if it's quoted here in Deuteronomy, and Jesus, we know that if he's saying in answer to this lawyer that this is the most important principle in your life, then would you agree with me that as parents, we should maybe pay attention to that principle as well? Okay, so here's what I want to offer you this morning. I'm going to try to answer two questions. First of all, I'm going to try to answer what is our primary role as parents? And secondly, how do we facilitate this role? And here in, in the scriptures, we find our primary role as parents. And here it is. My primary role as a parent is to help my kids love Jesus and be like him. That's it. That's my primary role. That's my primary filter. That's the primary framework that I need to incorporate into my life. Really simple. That needs to be mission number one in your life towards your kids. To help them to love Jesus and to be more like him. Now the question is, what does that look like? I mean, how in the world do we actually facilitate that and make that happen? Well, we don't have to guess. Scripture gives us the answer. Notice what it says here in verse 6. It says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your, to your children. And notice that it says these things are supposed to be inside of your heart. It's not written on some tablet somewhere that can be lost or broken or left, <clears throat> or left behind. No, this is in your heart to be carried with you forever. And I love that word. It says you shall teach them diligently to your children in some translations, it say you shall impress them upon your children. What does that mean? It's really interesting. In the original, that word diligently or impress is the Hebrew word for wet, 
W-H-E-T. It's the word for sharpening a sword. When you're sitting there over the stone, spending time sharpening in Deuteronomy 32, 41, it's the same word that's translated and used in reference to sharpening a sword, in fact. In Psalm chapter 6, it's the same word that's used in reference to sharpening our metaphorical tongue. Now, I want to share something, a little principle here this morning that I hope nobody gets offended by this, but <clears throat> I think it's a true principle. Don't miss what the scripture says there. Now let me share this. The primary leadership responsibility, the primary person in charge of leading your kids to Jesus is not the church. I hope I don't shock you by saying that. The primary person in charge of leading our kids to Christ is not an evangelist. The primary person in charge of leading our kids to Christ is not some kind of revivalist and, oh, let me ship my kids off to this week of prayer or let me ship them off to camp in the hopes that finally they make some kind of decision. No, Scripture says that the primary person that's in charge of helping our kids to love Jesus and to be like him is first and foremost parents. That's something that needs to be happening in the house, in the home. Now, here's what often happens. Maybe you've thought this before. You see, sometimes we get mad at the church, don't we? Sometimes we get a little bit upset with the church. Why? Because we're not seeing the results that we want in our kids. We're saying, man, that church just does not have the kind of youth programs that are blessing my kids. Right? Say, so my kids are not where they need to be, and sometimes we, we tend, it's the temptation, we kind of want to blame the church. Now, let me say something about our Sabbath schools here at Pioneer for a moment. Our Sabbath schools here at Pioneer, I'm proud to say, are second to none. Absolutely, positively incredible. When I'm not leading and helping to facilitate our baptismal class down there in, in the corner, I love to go with my kids to their Sabbath school class. And you know what it's like for me as I experience Sabbath school with them? I'm fascinated. I'm enthralled. I'm caught up in it. Why? It's 3D. It's interactive. They have puppets. And sometimes you get like water squirted on you. And they're singing. And there's all kinds of things happening. And they're inviting the kids to come up. <clears throat> it's really, really fun. Really interactive. But as good and as talented as all these Sabbath school teachers are, it's not their primary responsibility to lead your kids to Jesus. It's yours. You know what our function is as a church? Our function, yes, is to be a supportive role, but not the primary role. It's kind of like this. Imagine that in your home, the word Jesus is never spoken. It's never proclaimed. And the only time you ever hear the word Jesus talked about or preached about is when you come to church. Do you think that's okay? Imagine if you had zero spiritual nourishment during the week on yourself and instead you kind of fast for six days and finally on the seventh day you get to eat because there's some preachers coming to town and they're teaching you a nice inspiring worship service. No. I need to take responsibility for myself. I need to feed myself. I'm telling you guys, it's very simple. 
spiritual nourishment begins first and foremost in our homes. In our homes. Now, let me share a quote with you, which I think is going to encourage you. It's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4. Notice what it says. It says, the first great business of your life is to be a missionary where? At home. What in the world does that mean? It means that first and foremost, before you go off into some other lands, before you go off as a preacher and an evangelist somewhere else, you make sure that you are feeding your kids and helping them to grow in Jesus. Because Lord, forgive me. You know, I'm a pastor. Lord, forgive me. If I'm out there preaching somewhere else, but I'm ignoring my family, and I'm not working to lead them to Jesus. This is the first great business of your life life is to be a missionary at home. Look at this next one from volume 6, Testimonies for the Church. It says, our work for Christ is to begin with the family, in the home. There is no missionary field more important than this. By precept and example, parents are to teach their children to labor for the unconverted. Now, I know that there's some parents out there. Sometimes it's a stay-at-home mom Sometimes it's a stay-at-home dad. And sometimes you might feel a little bit guilty because you've stayed at home. Maybe you just have a one-income family. You know what I want to tell you this morning? I want to encourage you in the name of the Lord. There is no more important work on earth that you could be doing than helping to lead your kids closer to Jesus. You are not making a mistake. Yes, it's a sacrifice, but it is a worthwhile sacrifice. I'm telling you, you are blessing your family, by doing that. So here's the question. What does that look like? I mean, we know that the Bible says that we need to, okay, we need to teach them, okay, and we need to teach them diligently, but what does that look like? Are there some particular values that we need to be lifting up in them? Because truth be, truth be told, it sounds a little bit abstract just to say, well, okay, they need to be a little bit more like Jesus. Here's what we do in our family. Here's a really simple delivery system for helping to teach our kids to be more like Jesus. All right? Any of you ever seen those blue books? The Bible story books. So normally we, put, we give our kids a bath and they change into their pajamas and then we pull out one of the little blue books. And if you don't have one of those blue books and if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. You can pull out any kind of Bible story book or, hey, you can pull out the Bible and just tell them a Bible story. That's what we do. Nothing too complicated about that. Nothing scientific about that. But after we read the story to them, then it's question time. And so we begin to ask them questions about what we've read and covered with them. We want to make sure that they're understanding. We want to make sure that they're able to digest and take with them some small lesson that my son's five-year-old mind that my son's seven-year-old mind can take with him. You think you can do that? Hey, if you can read, you can help to lead your children to become more like Jesus. Really simple. And if you can't read, you can play something as well. All right. I'd like to suggest to you, though, that beyond that, we need to have some specific goals. And I want to reference, we're not going to have time to study them this morning, but I'm simply going to reference two scriptures in the Bible that I believe give us a goal of the direction in which we need to be headed. They give us some goals of the kind of 
characteristics that we need to be trying to instill in our kids' life. The first one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're not going to have time to turn there. If you're familiar with 1 Timothy chapter 3, you know that that is a listing of the qualifications of whom? Of an elder, right? And you're saying, well, an elder, that's kind of odd that you're looking at the qualifications for an elder, but hear me now for just a moment. An elder in a church is to be an example of what spiritual maturity actually looks like. And so there's this whole list of qualifications. Yeah, not everybody can be an elder. But if you meet this criteria, you know what? We believe you're an example of spiritual maturity. You're not perfect, but you're an example that people can look, look towards. That's why the Bible says if anybody aspires to be an elder or an overseer. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a nice list there, of course. We cannot forget, we must not forget Galatians chapter 5. Great little passage. talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you think that your kids should be raised up with the values and characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit? What do you say, church? Yeah, these are great things. These are great goalposts and mile markers that we need to say, hey, I need to be showing them to be kind and, and loving. Now, I think there's one value that's shared in both of those places. I mean, there's lots of values that we could pull out and share, but I think there's just one of them that I'm going to highlight just for today. We don't have time to cover a lot. I'm just going to pull out one, and that value is self-control. It's mentioned in both places. An elder needs to have self-control. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what in the world is self-control? Okay, self-control, talking to parents now, you've probably been in this situation I definitely have. It's time for dinner, and you tell your kids, all right, Timmy or Katie or Jennifer, it's time for dinner, and here's what we're going to do. If you eat your meal, including your veggies, I'm going to have a little ice cream for you. If you behave, of course. And, of course, here's what inevitably happens. Your son or your daughter, they quickly consume everything else. They leave the veggies there sometimes. And they say, okay, I'm ready for the ice cream. I say, well, wait a second, buddy. That's, that's not quite what we talked about, right? We said if you behave and if you eat all your veggies, then you'll have the ice cream. And all of a sudden, the launch sequence for an epic meltdown is initiated. And they begin rolling and thrashing or screaming. And all of a sudden, you as a parent have a decision to make, don't you? You have to say, do I give in? And do I say, oh, okay, all right, all right, okay, I don't have time for this. I, don't, I can, really can't deal with this right now. It's very inconvenient. Whatever, just take it. Now, I know that that seems like a really small thing, a really innocent thing, but think about what we are teaching our kids when we do that. We are teaching them that you can disobey and still be okay. You can disobey and still have your way. Hey, it's the best of both worlds. I didn't want those veggies anyhow. And here's what we, we often misunderstand. We think that these are just simple little situations from their childhood, that they do not carry these things into adulthood, but you would be unfortunately wrong. Because you see, these are lessons that we begin instilling them and they begin making up who they are and these are things that they carry with them into adulthood. But instead, what if we say, no, I'm sorry, Timmy or Jennifer or Katie. 
The deal was if you ate all your veggies, then you would get ice cream. They cry and they cry. Say, sorry, that was the deal. And maybe they cry for an hour, but inevitably they whimper and it dies down. What have they learned? They've learned that maybe I just need to eat the veggies next time. You know, there's this really fascinating study in the 1960s and 1970s by these two Stanford scientists. And they did this experiment, which was interestingly dubbed the marshmallow test. Maybe you've seen some of these videos on YouTube. It's really simple. They'll take a marshmallow and they'll put it in front of a child. And they said, look, you have two choices. You can either eat this right now or in 20 minutes I will give you Another one. So you can have two marshmallows at the end of 20 minutes. Whew, what a temptation for kid. And so I've seen some of those videos on YouTube. And you see those, kid, those kids and their clocks are turning and they're thinking. And some of them, inevitably, they just can't deal with it. And they chow down on that little marshmallow. But some of them, they're struggling just as hard. They're, whew, they're sweating and they want to eat it, but they're thinking about that second marshmallow that they would really love to have. And so they're counting down the clock and they're looking and they end up waiting long enough and they get two marshmallows. Well, guess what scientists found? This was a longitudinal, longitudinal study, long-term study, and they found that these kids that waited, that delayed gratification, they got higher in their SATs, they were more, more likely to graduate from college, they were more likely to be successful in life than those that just chowed down on those little marshmallows. Wow. So what does this teach me about holiness? What does this teach me about becoming a little bit more like Jesus? Well, it's this. You see, holiness is about slowly but inevitably learning to say yes to the things of God and no to these temptations that constantly confront me. And here's what happens, guys. When we say no to these temptations, our capacity to invite the Spirit into our life increases. But when we say yes to these temptations, when we do not have self-control in our life, we decrease the Spirit's ability to make room in our life. It's not that He doesn't want to be there. It's that we gently push Him out. You guys remember the first temptation to come upon humanity? For Adam, it was a temptation of what? Of appetite of wanting to eat this fruit. Remember that first temptation that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? It was a temptation of appetite. So look, I know that you're hungry, Jesus. You've been fasting all this time. Just command that these stones be turned into bread. But Jesus exercised self-control. By the way, if I can learn to have self-control with what I put inside my mouth... I can have greater victory across my entire life. I'm not saying that it's easy. Hey, look, sometimes I want to eat that thing too. Right? Sometimes it just looks good and you're just, you know, nothing's not good for me, but that's something I'm working on as well. But if we can control what goes into our mouth, I guarantee you, believe me, you will have greater victory in your life overall. Okay, so principle number two the way that we facilitate this. First of all, it's through intentional teaching. But second of all, it's through intentional living. Notice what it says here in verse 7. 
It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but there is a progression there, isn't there? We see a progression that, first of all, if people are making God a priority, and they're saying, God, look, I want you to be my everything. God, I'm going to endeavor to love you with my heart, soul, my strength. Then guess what inevitably is going to happen? Jesus is going to spill out and overflow, whoops, into all other areas of your life. You will not be able to contain him to just your home. I mean, just in the marketplace, in the workplace, everywhere you go, it's going to be spilling out. In the same way that the disciples of Jesus, when they were confronted with other people, they're saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. These guys... These guys have been with Jesus. You see, if you're going about this process, if we're teaching our kids to love God, to love Jesus and to be more like him, it's going to begin spilling out across all areas of your life. But by the way, this one right here is a challenge for us as parents, isn't it? Because it means that we can't just talk the talk. As parents, we need to walk the walk. I want to share with you a quote from George Barna. Fascinating quote on a study that he did about how kids grow. It's from a book called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. Notice what he says here. I start with behavioral modeling because our research suggests it is the most powerful component in a parent's effort to influence a child. It appears that as our society becomes increasingly secular, our children are develop, developing a hypocrisy detector, an internal sensitivity to actions, attitudes, values, and beliefs that are inherently contradictory to words that have been uttered as instruction. So what is George Barna saying? He's saying the best way that your kids learn is by watching you. They will listen to what you say, but at the end of the day, that's just a little bit of talk. They're going to watch what you do and how you live. Because you see, how you live becomes a framework for faith for our families. Because when they see you living in a certain way, when they see you behaving in a certain way, all of a sudden they begin to interpret the things that you said. And they said, oh, so that's what daddy meant. That's what mommy meant when they said this thing. So when you're, what you say is congruent with your behavior, okay. Now we have a recipe for a spiritual champion in our kids. Okay, so here's a really simple two things I'm going to throw out there, all right, as far as how we can model for our kids kind of what, what it means to follow Jesus. Here's something that I do. I try to involve my kids in ministry. Really simple. And here's a simple thing that I do. If I am sick, normally I do this every single time before I preach, actually here at PMC. I invite my wife and I invite my kids to come to me and I say, guys, can you lay some hands on me? 
I feel like I need some prayer. Can you pray for me? And they come and they lay hands on me and they pray for me. And they're simple five and seven-year-olds and what they understand, they pray for me. When I'm sick and I'm not feeling well, I call my family to me. I say, guys, can you lay hands on me? Can you pray for me? And I have to tell you, one of the proudest and happiest moments of my life is when my oldest son, Jonathan, one day he said, Daddy, Papa, is what he calls me, Papa, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I think I'm a little sick. Can you lay hands on me? Can you lay hands on me and pray for me? What happened? Somehow he learned through what I've been asking for myself as I've been seeking to involve him in ministry. And all of a sudden he says, wait a second, okay, I need prayer too. Jesus can heal me. Jesus can work inside of me. Here's another simple way. Through being loving with your kids. I know that sounds like a given, but listen now. When we are loving with our kids, all of a sudden our kids begin to understand, again, it's a framework for faith. They begin to understand what it means when the Bible says that God loves them. Oh, okay, in the same way that daddy, in the same way that mama. Okay, okay. I think I'm beginning to understand this. And I have a little saying in my family, and some of you are going to think that I'm exaggerating. I'm not. Here's a little saying. It's kind of a little joke. 300 kisses a day keeps the doctor away. If you would be a fly on the wall in my house, you would see that my kids, it's impossible. They cannot walk by me without me grabbing them to hug them or kiss them. It just, it is what it is. And the question is, I mean, where did I get that from? Right? I mean, did I just, you know, I read it in a cool book, it's a good strategy. I thought, you know, I really need to implement that thing. No. I got it from my parents. My parents are here this morning. And mom, dad, I want to thank you for leaving me with a legacy of love. Because I just give what I've been given. I just do what I've seen. And George Barna saw that it's true in his study, but I kind of figured it out intuitively. And I said, you know, this just seems like it's work. I don't have to think about it. This is just what I do with my own kids. It's not some strategy. I don't have to think about it. It's just what I do. I wonder if I should pull out your Connect card. Every single week here at Pioneer, whether you're a first-time guest or a long-time member, we encourage people to take next step in their walk with God. If you um, make sure to put your name on there, email address, a way that we could contact you, we'd love to be in touch with you. But I want to invite you to turn to the back of the card. And we've got a couple of next steps. The first one is, I want to memorize Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. If you're a parent, that's a really good one that you need to memorize. So love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God, 
use that proclamation. May I do that with my kids. Maybe you want to work on memorizing that this week. Just check that off if that's you. Number two, I need special prayer for wisdom as a parent. I need wisdom, guys. I need wisdom as a parent. Maybe you're sensing the same thing. Says, you know what? This thing is not that easy. I love it, but sometimes uh, it's not that easy. If you feel like you need supernatural wisdom, just check that off. Thirdly, please mail me a copy of the booklet, How to Have Family Worship. If you will give us your mailing address, we will mail to you this booklet for free. How to Have Family Worships. So it has to be legible. If we can't read it, we can't send it. But if we can send it to you, if we can't read it, we will send that to you. And of course, look, if you've never made a decision for baptism, if, if you need to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you can check that off on the right side of the card. All kinds of fantastic next steps for you there. So I just simply want to pray with you now. And after we pray, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to receive the morning's tithes and offerings. And that's also the place where you can put your completed response card, your completed connect card. So let's pray together now. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we're not left alone to grope and wander in darkness. Thank you that you shine a light upon our path and you lead us in the way of righteousness. Lord, I ask that you would bless us this morning, multiply the tithes and the offerings, and I ask that you would also be with all of the decisions being made this morning. Be with all the decisions that are being made right now all across the planet as people are watching on the live stream right now. We commit all these people, all these souls into your hands. And now I simply ask that you would give them boldness to fall through with the conviction that you've placed upon their heart. Thank you for being with them and blessing them. In Jesus' name, amen.